3: on Monday, November 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear from the Mississippi Democratic and Republican Party leaders on the hopes and challenges presented with the upcoming election. Then, a group of volunteers are encouraging voters from marginalized communities to exercise their rights on Tuesday, and why one organization is raising awareness on behalf of American teens who need adoptive homes. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As Mississippians prepare to cast ballots tomorrow, state party leaders say there's a lot on the line. Lucian Smith is chair of the Republican Party in Mississippi. The majority party leader tells us how the party is handling the weight of the various elections happening on the same date.
2: Well, we've got a great team that's been working on it uh, for several months now. Uh, You know, we knew we would have uh, four congressional elections because, uh, obviously, that happens every two years, and we knew we'd have at least one Senate race. Uh, So in that sense, it's not that different than a a normal midterm election year, Uh, but we've got a great team at the party. Uh, We've built a statewide network of volunteers who uh, who have been, over the course of the last few months, working to persuade people to vote Republican. Uh, but uh, today is are working to make sure that those Republicans show up to vote.
3: How are you getting the vote out?
2: It, it's a combination of uh, going door to door. Uh, we've got a huge get-out-the-vote effort. Uh, we've hit uh, over 300,000 doors over the course of the last three months, uh, made over half of a million phone calls uh, to people all across the state, and just remind them uh, of how important this election is. Uh, And and when it is, you know, little things to make sure that somebody doesn't look up at seven o'clock tonight and realize that they forgot to vote. You know, we want to make sure that everyone who wants to vote Republican remembers to go and do it.
3: Mississippi has been solidly Republican for some time now. What's left to accomplish? And are there any strong fears that the tide may turn?
2: No. I think Mississippi remains a very conservative state. Um, The majority in Mississippi, uh, certainly in the three congressional districts that are represented by Republicans, and I think statewide, uh, want the kind of government that comes out of Washington uh, when Republicans are in charge. I mean, they want to see a light-touch regulatory approach. Uh, They want to see lower taxes. Uh, And you're starting to see real results of Republican policy at the federal level. Uh, Wages are uh, up 3.1% year over year. Uh, unemployment's at historic lows, both uh, aggregated and disaggregated into the various demographic units. Uh, and, and all of that is a result of Republican leadership. I think we're safer uh, around the world because of a strong foreign policy that uh, recognizes America is safest when she's strongest. Um, and, and so I think you're going to see a, a resounding vote for Republicans today.
3: President Donald Trump has been saying at the rallies, his rallies, that voters are voting for him, not necessarily the candidate. Do you buy into that?
2: You know, I think the, uh, the energy that you're seeing on the Republican side in Mississippi is certainly a function of that. You know, his visit to DeSoto County um, uh, earlier this year, I think, reminded people that, you know, the policies that he supports, the the, the conservative agenda coming out of the Trump White House, uh, in a real sense, is on the ballot. Uh, and I think that's motivating Republican voters to, to show up and vote.
3: A criticism of Republicans in Mississippi are uh, tax incentive packages. Some call it giving away money to businesses while middle and lower class Mississippians are struggling. How do you respond to that?
2: Like it's happening nationally. Mississippi's unemployment is at the absolute lowest level since they have been keeping records of unemployment here. Uh, and that is a result, I think, of Republican leadership who, who has had a laser focus on bringing more and better jobs to the state. Uh, incentive packages, uh, whether you like them or not, uh, are uh, uh, just a reality in economic development. And I think uh, Governor Bryant and before him Governor Barber, uh, along with our, our Lieutenant Governor and Republican Speaker, have been aggressive in identifying companies that could locate here. Uh, you look at Continental Tire here in the metro area. You know, that's 2,000 new jobs in Hines County, and it's a direct result uh, of those sort of incentive packages that that Republicans have been uh, putting together.
3: Let's talk about health care for just a second. Um, Many Mississippians don't have health care or health insurance of any kind, and Republicans are opposed to the ACA coverage and Medicaid expansion. So how do you address issues of Mississippians being underinsured or uninsured?
2: Well, I think we'd like to see reforms that let people, market-driven reforms that let people buy insurance across state lines, you know, evaluate the expansion of health savings accounts. The governor has certainly been working to bring more health-related jobs to Mississippi and expand the number of doctors so you've got greater access to care rurally, but I think you're going to continue to see uh, a focus on expanding uh, access to access to care uh, across the state with with Republicans.
3: Lucian Smith is the chair of Mississippi's Republican Party. Thanks so much, Lucian. Hey, thanks, Karen. Both Democrats and Republicans are making their respective cases to voters ahead of tomorrow's congressional, Senate, and judicial races. Bobby Moog is head of the Democratic Party in Mississippi. He tells us the party's activity is up from where it has been in recent years.
1: We're doing more than we have done in an awfully long time we uh, we're of course utilizing every corner of digital that we can with phone calls with social media with texting and we're not forgetting that it's time to knock on people's doors tell them who our candidates are and that it's time to get out and vote and we're doing the old-fashioned thing also so we're just trying to cover all gamuts
3: That's a pretty big area when you're talking about Senate races to to cover the state by going door to door. It's a
1: big area. Uh, Of course, we have targeted counties. We have targeted precincts. But we have operations in every county throughout the state, something that we have not had in this party for a long, long time. And I'm very, very happy about that.
3: How do you face the Republicans, who have had an incumbency in the state for many, many years now, virtually in every major political office in the state? What are you doing to combat that?
1: Look, every one of these candidates who ran for office uh, knew what, is, what was ahead of them. Of course, it's a hard climb, but their hearts and their souls are in their campaigns, and they have been working hard uh, every day. But here is really the bottom line. Who would have thought just a year ago that Democrats would have had viable candidates in every office in the federal system that's up for election this next Tuesday? Not many. Uh, so that means that Democrats have turned the corner of, uh, of viability and that they're now out there working hard. We we see some indications of that, that people's messages uh, are being heard, and we we feel very good about that.
3: Are candidates hearing from voters about issues that concern them? And are the candidates, the Democratic candidates, addressing those issues?
1: I believe, uh, of course, that they are. Our candidates are talking about things that affect people's everyday lives, like, how am, you know, am I going to have a good job tomorrow if I lose one today? How am I going to educate my children uh, what about my local hospital that's filing for bankruptcy or closing? Uh, what about the local farmers who are now faced with tariffs that are lowering the the amount per bushel of the goods that they're trying to sell to our trading partners? All of those things our candidates are talking about. And, yes, I think people are hearing that. They're, they're not only hearing it from our candidates. They're hearing it on the national news every day.
3: A lot of Mississippians, I think it can be said, Avoid the Democratic Party because of its national leaders. You know, the opponents will say you're running against Hillary Clinton, you're running against Nancy Pelosi, or Chuck Schumer. How do you address that?
1: Well, without name-calling any of our Republican uh,
3: friends who
1: who we could quite easily do, we we just say, listen, we are Mississippi Democrats. We have our own Mississippi. Uh, Constitution and the Democratic Party. We're not the national party. Uh, Everybody knows that. My goodness, a lot of folks who call themselves Republican used to be Democrats. And a lot of folks who, who used to be Democrats maybe are sitting in the middle as independents. So we believe that if you're logical, if you're reasonable, and if you think about the issues that affect you every day, that you'll vote blue more times than red. So we're just simply asking them to look at the everyday issues that affect them and just vote your conscience. Vote for the folks who are going to help you most with those issues.
3: If Democrats came out in force on Tuesday, how much would that help? What kind of difference could that make?
1: If Democrats came out in force, it's something that we've been looking for Uh, for years. And the Republicans have been doing the same thing. And it's those people who do not normally vote in this type of election cycle, but yet will vote during a presidential election cycle. There's a large number of those voters on both sides of the aisles. Uh, We're reaching out, trying to get those folks back to the polls. If that happens, you can see some tremendous
3: changes. Bobby Moak is the chairman of the Mississippi Democratic Party. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you so much. Experts say the high number of absentee ballots could be a sign of near-record voter turnout for a midterm election. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, a group of volunteers are encouraging voters from marginalized communities to exercise their rights on Tuesday. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When your kids are too young to drive, they still have to get places. Lots of places. So you spend lots of time in your car or SUV driving them to those places. Thank goodness for MPB Think Radio. While you're waiting in the pickup and drop-off line with the trillion other parents, you have fresh air. Southern Remedy, Morning Edition, Everyday Tech, and a host of other MPB programs to keep you company. Go to mpbonline.org to find out what's on and when. You take care of the kids, we'll take care of you at MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Volunteers of the Black Voters Matter Initiative is promoting the importance of voting in Mississippi. They gathered at Tougaloo College on Friday to educate Mississippians from marginalized communities. The event is one of many Get Out the Vote initiatives on college campuses. Similar efforts are ramping up in the last days before the November midterm election. Wendell Paris of Jackson is a veteran of the civil rights movement and a volunteer with the Black Voters Matter campaign. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood part of his dedication comes from witnessing the murder of a friend and fellow activist in 1966.
4: The right to vote is the most precious right of a democracy. And it's so important that we vote now because we really still don't have full-fledged voting rights in this country. The 1965 Voting Rights Act is a temporary measure. So we really have a temporary right to vote, which makes us temporary citizens. And here is uh, folks last week just saying that uh, they, they're now looking at taking away the citizenship right of folks who were born in this country. And that started with us, with our people in slavery. So it's always important for us to go vote and have an understanding of why we do that. When you vote then you are you are just as powerful as any other person for the 5 minutes that you take to go to vote so when we don't vote it means that we never do reach equality in this country if you understand our black history here so if you want to be if you want to become a full-fledged citizen if you want to reach equality then it is absolutely mandatory that you go go vote and it's so important that we do it at this time at this time because all of our rights are under attack Where do you think the disconnect happened? When you look at just the number of black people, black citizens voting at one time, it was a lot more than it is now. Um, I know a lot of students say they may be discouraged or they feel like their vote doesn't matter, but where did that disconnect happen? Well, that disconnect happened from us not really being telling our children and our children's children. That's a requirement that comes forth from the Bible itself. We must always tell the, uh, the coming generations, what have been the struggles of their parents and their foreparents. And and since we kind of slacked up on that, we didn't really... Well, we never had over 10% of the population to participate in the 1960s and 70s. But uh, at that time, it was a more homogeneous grouping of folks. Four people were together. And now, folks, are, you know, we got, we got so many devices that we can tinker with and play with. We don't have to talk to people anymore, we can just... Look right on our t- cell phones and whatever, but there has to be this concerted effort on the parts of all of the segments of the community to say the same thing, give the same message to our people, and that message is that we must stand united and always vote. And until that happens, we will we will continue to uh, to uh, see the uh, dismally low voting records that uh, are coming about now. The bears you're also a civil rights veteran. Can you kind of talk about The things that you've done in the past uh, within voter registration. Okay. You ever heard of Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer? Yes, sir. My vote, my very first experience at registering the vote, came with Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer. In fact, prior to passage of the Voting Rights Act in 196, which passed in August of 1965, in March, when I was a student at Tuskegee. Instead of us doing the regular thing that students do during spring break, we went to Ruleville, Mississippi and did voter registration with Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer. Now I will never forget that experience there because here was Mrs. Hamer who was supposedly an unlearned person who taught me more in two weeks than I learned in my four years in college. So. That has been kind of the mantra that I followed all the time. A friend of mine that was with with me on that trip uh, was killed in January the 3rd, 1966, for registering people to vote. The day that he died, we had registered 150 folks to vote. He was the first black student to die in the civil rights struggle. His name was Sammy Young, Jr. He was a bosom buddy of mine. So the night that he was killed, I decided, I made a vow to the Lord that night that I would work all of my life to try to make conditions better. And so I have no choice but to go vote because I understand that not only have people bled and died, but how much the, uh, the, the absence of voting has taken from us. Until we could vote, you didn't have any black people on, uh, on, uh, uh, in the jury rooms, in the court rooms. You didn't have any black people at jurors. So the all-white juries were automatically going to find you guilty if you weren't very careful. So, and, and most of the time, most often it did. So I'm saying just understand the power of the vote down through the years. I've been elected to uh, office. I've been running political campaigns since I was 20 years old. And uh, I've been winning campaigns since I was 20 years old. And we're going to win next Tuesday, too. Mr. Wendell Paris, thank you so much for uh, your work in the civil rights movement and your continued effort. Thank you so much,
3: Ashley. Coming up, why one organization is raising awareness on behalf of American teens who need adoptive homes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Do you have an extra car that you wash more than most people go to the dentist? Well, save some time and some water and donate it to us. Think about it. Rather than it sitting there taking up space, your extra car could be making public radio. And when you donate it here, you may also qualify for a tax deduction.
2: Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. There are well over 100,000 American children waiting to be adopted, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. More than 20,000 of those awaiting adoption are already teenagers. In Mississippi, hundreds of children find new families through adoption each year. Bob Hearn is the National Project Director with Adopt U.S. Kids. He tells us kids who end up not being adopted face enormous challenges.
0: Currently, we have over 118,000 children and youth who are living in foster care who are in need of an adoptive family. And what we know is that. When a child can grow up with the love, safety, and security and unconditional commitment of a family, they have much healthier and better outcomes than aging out of foster care. So, we're really promoting adoption from foster care for teenagers because over 20% of that 118,000 are teenagers and they wait twice as long. To get a forever family than younger children do in the foster care system.
3: What is the percentage of those who do age out of the foster care system? So that ranges
0: from state to state of who ages out, but there are tens thousands that age out every year. And some of the statistics that we know about them is they have a higher rate Of um, unemployment. They have a um, less of a chance of going, of first attending college and certainly graduating from college. And they are one of the biggest percentages of the homeless um, shelter in the U.S.
3: What is the oldest age someone can be adopted? Is it 18? So for
0: some states it's 18, and for some states it's 21. And also in the United States, what some people don't realize is um, you can get adopted when you're 30 years old. You can be adopted as an adult. You can go to the court system and, and make that formal. And regardless of what age we are, we always need the support and love of family in our lives.
3: If someone has been in the foster care system for most of their life and they're adopted at the age of 17, can they absorb and embrace all of the positive that comes From a new family?
0: Yes, they can, you know, and it's amazing to see. We never lose, as as human beings, we never lose that ability to want and need to be connected to each other. And we all need someone who unconditionally supports us in our lives. There are firsts that continue to happen, right? There's your your first crush. There's your first breakup. There's your first job there's walking down that aisle when you're getting married and turning around and seeing there are people who love you and support you through all the good and challenging pieces of your life.
3: What are some of the common misperceptions about adopting from the foster care system? So
0: the biggest misconception is that people think they need to be perfect to be an adoptive family, and you absolutely do not need to be perfect. And that's why we run these public service um, advertisements saying you don't need to be perfect to be a perfect parent. It's your challenges, it's the things that you've gone through in life that allows you to be there for children and and to have the empathy to understand some of the things that you're going through. Um, The other misconception is that you need to be married or that you need to have a lot of money or that you need to own your own home. What you need to do, first and foremost, is be able to make an unconditional commitment to a child. And then you need some flexibility. It always, always helps to have a sense of humor. Um, And any of us that have raised children know a sense of humor gets us through a lot. And you need to be willing to go through the process.
3: Tell us about the Adopt U.S. Kids recruitment campaign. This year, we're focusing
0: on teens, specifically teens 15 to 18. And we're talking about firsts. And a lot of people talk about, well, I remember the first time my baby walked or the first time they went to school. And so we're highlighting what are some of the firsts that um, older children and teenagers go through. So the first time I asked a girl to prom or my first breakup or – Learning to drive for the first time, and that these first continue throughout our lives and into our teen years and and early adulthood.
3: Do you ever have instances where you have a brother and sister siblings looking to be adopted as teenagers?
0: Yes, we do. A lot of um, children come with brothers and sisters, and whenever possible, we try to keep them in the same family to grow up in a single-family unit. And if you go on to our website at AdoptUSKids, and we have a national photo listing, and you'll read and you'll see some of the sib groups, and brothers and sisters that we're trying to keep together.
3: What do the adoptive parents tell you is the most beneficial part or the most satisfying part of becoming an adoptive parent?
0: So by far, by every measure, um, almost uniformly, what I always hear is family saying, we were doing this to help a child out. We were doing this to grow our family. We didn't understand how much this would mean to us and how... Such, in such a positive and significant way, it has improved our lives, and that we can't ever imagine our lives without this child or this youth in it. Um, and so sometimes we like to go forward because we're doing something for someone else, and it ends up benefiting us as much as it does the child or teen that we're bringing into our home.
3: Bob Hearn is the National Project Director for Adopt US Kids. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Coming up at 9, Deep South Dining. At 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Libro FM Audiobooks and Square Books in Oxford, an independent bookstore offering more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and bookseller recommendations. More at Libro.fm.